Assalamu dudes. It is Monday, and you know what that means. You are in for another episode of Big Stick Energy, the undomesticated outdoor podcast brought to you on the Out of Bounds Collective platform. My name is Tori Anderson. You can find me at Tori Alina. Sorry, it's actually at Tori A. Alina, not like I've said that 800 times. And my best friend, Renee McCurdy, who is my co-host today and every day moving forward, at Renee McCurds. Last week, we missed you guys heaps, but we really needed to step back. We talk about this issue in the ski industry and the outdoor industry where female athletes are forced to freaking hustle. We have jobs, we are in school, and we are trying to work through our athletic careers and with brands. And unfortunately, the industry standard is to not pay female athletes as much as they pay men. Part of the problem is that women need to step forward and we need to learn how to ask for money. And that's something that we talk about in this episode. Overall, this episode means a lot to us. Um, We'll get into that in a second, but we also just wanted to touch on You know, that hustle can lead to a significant case of burnout. And that's what we experienced. And we just want to say, womb tangers, if I can call you that, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to eat four Pop-Tarts and cry in the shower. It's okay to lie in bed for most of the day and then crush out work in the evening. It's okay to say no and set boundaries because boundaries are hot. So that's what we did. But we're back, baby. We're rested up and we're ready to give it to you. Uh, Renee is going to tell you a little bit about the show today, but we want to keep it short and sweet because this episode means a lot to us. This week, we are talking to Alex Showerman, and we freaking love Alex. She is so rad, a woman of many hats. We don't want to give too much away because she does a really awesome job introing herself in a couple minutes here. She is a freeride mountain biker, a freelance creative, she's a brand strategist, and in this episode we're going to look at issues from both an experiential point of view and a little bit of academic perspective. We talk about why representation is so important and why we keep fighting for that, how to be a better ally, and we really, really, really are glad that you guys are here and listening to it because this episode is so important to us. Yeah, this one's a big one. And you know what? The topics are just so good. We couldn't stop talking, but there is so much value packed in there. Um, It's certifiably bananas. And we are so stoked to be dropping this new episode of Big Stick Energy in three, two, one. I just want to say I'm really stoked to be here. Your first episode literally felt like the biggest thing of catharsis. Just like hearing all this like shared experiences and like all the things that have frustrated me. I was just like, oh my God. And then also the Solomon Din setting thing. (sighs) Rage. Rage. Yeah, dude. I'm a snowboarder and I'm like, ah. You want to just like go to their marketing team and just like like just slap them a million times and be like, no, <laughs> do better. It's like the bar is so low. It's so low. And you couldn't even hit that. Like, Especially in 2021. Like, 
I know. Like, we've had these conversations over and over again. Dude, like, when I mentioned that the ski industry is so far behind the rest of society and society has a long way to go, I meant it. But that's why we're here. That's mm-hmm. it. It's, um yeah, after that Solomon thing, we were talking about it in the in the intro to our, our second episode, but it like rallied people on the internet. Like people were tagging Solomon in their stories. It was like womb tang. We ride at dawn, like let's go. <laughs> it's, we're all going at it. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of good energy in the womb tang crew, uh, yeah. which is why I was like pumped when y'all reached out. I was like, yeah, stoked to be here. <laughs> we're stoked to have you. We honestly have been talking about this all week. We're super freaking pumped, but um, thank you so much too. That really means a lot to us. and. I think the fact that this community is coming together like that and it is such like an emotionally connecting experience, like that's huge. And it really shows to allies and to other people in the industry that there is a problem. Like when there's this many shared experiences, that's statistically relevant, right? So it's really awesome to see how many people are resonating with it. It's like it's freaking dope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not to mention, too, Tori and I spoke about it after. We kept it pretty vanilla, and we didn't even talk about some of the worst things that have happened. Those are just the the, just top of the barrel. We're just skimming the surface. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was like, it was like, okay, I'm going to say it. It was like foreplay into, like, the deep, 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 like, straight to the freaking act. Like, what's it called when you get to base three, base four? Like base three, base four is like slipping into the back when you're boot fitting to like have a quick cry and then come back and like rally and hold yourself together because of the stuff men have said to you. But it's like, you know, like quick tear, quick tear. It's like we cry and we rally. Let's go. That's like part of the experience. But the number of dudes that messaged us and said that they had no idea how bad it was or what we dealt with was really freaking cool. So if you're a dude and you're listening to this and you're listening to learn and to get down with that womb tang vibe, we appreciate you. Um, on another note, Alex, do you want to maybe introduce yourself to everybody? Just give yeah. them the quick like speed round, the who's what's and the what's who's. Sure. So yeah. Hi, everybody. Uh, Alex Showerman here. Um, I am a proud queer trans woman, a free ride mountain biker and a storyteller and also like longtime industry, outdoor industry Person. I've worked for snowboard brands and general outdoor brands and values-driven brands and currently work for a non-alcoholic brewery, craft brew, uh, athletic brewing as well. So lots of lady of many hats. All of the things. What are you yeah. doing in these positions? Are you working in marketing or consulting? Like what are you? Uh... Yeah, so um I have did, I worked for an agency for a number of years. Um, so like PR and brand strategy, um, some of my clients included like Weston um, was one of my like favorites. I worked with them for a long, long time. Um, I actually met them when I was freelance writing for like Transworld um, and then um, a bunch of other sort of general outdoor. Um, and then, um, you know, over the last like couple of years, been really trying to do more um like in the freelance writing and the athlete space, which has been really fun. And then with Athletic, I'm overseeing our um, charitable giving program. So actually right before this call, I was sending out emails for our Two for the Trails grant program. So we're actually going to be donating $1 million to trail-based nonprofits in 2021. Holy shit. Yeah. That is so sick. Yeah. If people could see Monitory's faces when you said (laughs) that, it was like Jaws. 
background. Yeah. <laughs> oh so, man. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I definitely like, I think one of the things that I'm definitely very ADD, I don't sit still. So I just have to be doing stuff all the time. <laughs> um, so have my hands in a lot of places. And really my core mission is just uh, help to have a positive impact on the world and welcome new people into these sports and just, you know, change the culture to make it just easier for all of us that aren't like straight white dudes uh, feel more comfortable and happy here. <laughs> Dude, your, your like womb tang energy, you one of us to the T, <laughs> everything you just said there about changing culture, like our entire mission is to increase access to resources, community opportunities and education, because that's how we can see a cultural shift. It's like when there's an equitable culture where everyone's needs are appreciated, seen, and they're given the resources and all the other things I just listed that they need to succeed, that's where we see a shift. And that's yeah. where popular culture will start to, you know, acknowledge those things all the way through the value chain, like from companies to production companies to the cat track. That's yeah. the goal. Yeah. And yeah, to all other adrenaline sports too. It's pretty wild. Um, but yeah, that's sick. Side note, I'm also in branding. We should geek out sometime. Back to right. what we were... Let's go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah. Renee, you want to jump in with like some of our first questions? Yeah. Uh, I would love to start out because I know we were talking before you said that snow sports is a place where you haven't felt as comfortable. And I'd love to kind of just expand on that. And then maybe we can follow up on other questions after. I don't want to give too many questions at one time. Yeah. So it's been like a really interesting journey. And like, first off, for those of you who like want to kind of hear more about like my background and kind of personal journey, um, Outside did a really awesome podcast with me that kind of goes into my whole like coming out journey and breaking my neck and overcoming a lot of fear around all of that. Um, but yeah, regarding sort of like my experience in snow sports specifically, um, it was definitely, I think the biggest thing that kept me in the closet for a super long time. Um, I basically like really, I've always like always knew like from like my earliest memories, like, yes, I'm a woman, like literally earliest memories, but it took me to like my, like to like 2014 to be like, name it and be like, yeah, I'm trans and like know what I needed to do, which was come out and transition. And like, it was right about the time when I was breaking into the snow sports industry. I was writing for like Transworld Snowboard Mag, Backcountry Mag, had started working with Protect Our Winters. And literally my biggest fear was like coming out and just like seeing no representation of like trans women, queer women, really women not be very well represented even at the time. And I was like, there's no way this industry is gonna accept me. Like I will lose my community, I'll lose my job. Like that was my biggest fear. Um, so it kept me in the closet for a long time. Finally, I just was like, I need to come out. Like I was in a really dark place and it's been an interesting journey since. Um, I think I definitely was supported by a few like close people like Leo and Sean at Weston were fantastic and like big supports right away. Um, but I definitely found over the year of after coming out that like, this space that felt very like it was like my job and my community and I had a lot of friends, all of a sudden I felt very othered in. And like, there was no negative interactions. It was just very like, 
doors that were once open started kind of closing and like interactions like out on the mountains and even in phone calls, just all was really awkward and uncomfortable. And then like on the flip side in the mountain bike space, like all of like all of the girls in the mountain bike space were like, Alex, come on in, join the party. Like, let's have some fun. Let's go shred together. So it was like this really strange thing where like my whole life snowboarding was like my main passion and love. And then like over the past like year or two, it's been like a switch where like now mountain biking is like what gets me out of bed in the morning. And like, that's like what I want to do. And like this winter, I'm sort of like, eh, whatever, snow. I can't wait to get to the desert and ride bikes. Like, <laughs> um, so yeah, it's just, I think what I kind of realized is that, um, Snow sports just is so far, like the spaces I am most comfortable is the spaces obviously us women are all supported in and snow sports is just so far behind. This is our language. Preach, <laughs> preach. Yeah, that's why we're here. This uh -huh. is the undomesticated po outdoor podcast for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> Emphasis on skiing. So. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. That's like, yeah. It's like, I don't think people listen to other people's experiences a lot of the time. I know that yeah. just as a woman, right? Like I remember I was in the library and this is like not relative to skiing, but this guy that I was working with on a group project, he's like six foot four and like over 200 pounds, big beard, lots of tattoos, mm -hmm. like rides a bike, all that kind of stuff. And he was like, we were talking about feminism and he was like, I refuse to believe that a woman's life is harder than mine. And I looked at him and I was like, when was the last time you walked to your car at 10 o'clock at night from campus with keys between your fingers and your best friend on speed dial? And he was like, never. And I was like, when was the last time that you were hooking up with somebody and you felt like you potentially might be in danger because you realized that you couldn't push them off them and they weren't listening to your, uh, like that you weren't consenting to what they were doing. And he was like, never. And I was like, okay let's go. It's just like, yeah. I don't feel like, like they don't listen to those experiences and asking questions is a great way to bring them around to it. But that like collective kind of behind vibe in the ski industry is what we're trying to target. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you said that like the, like, did you experience that through all levels of the value chain? And when I say value chain, I mean, you're in business, so you, you mm -hmm. know what that means, but you know, like the meetings that you were having, like whether it was with, um, like peers who are also skiing, snowboarding, like on that consumer level, like athletes, businesses, like is, was it just a general feeling of, you know, doors weren't quite as open? Yeah, it was just sort of like, everything felt uncomfortable. Um, and, and, and just like, it was, it was across sort of multiple spectrums. Like I said, I think, I do want to just be very clear, like Sean and Leo at Weston were really big supports and that was great, but it was just like kind of everything else emanating out, like, like kind of from there out, like just out on the skin track, out in the mountains, like in conversations with people within the industry, like it, you could just tell people's heads were like, I don't understand you anymore. Um, and, uh, or it was just like awkward interacting with them or it's just like, like I said, like doors that were once open kind of weren't there anymore. And, 
And it just, it really just went from feeling like my place to not feeling like my place. Um, and then also even like some women um, also, like I had one woman basically tell me like that I haven't been a woman long enough to like talk about these issues. Dude. <laughs> Which I was like, you, that is the most invalidating thing. And like, I like, one of the things that I kind of like to joke is I'm like, I'm like y'all's like international super spy. I'm one of you who was like fucking dressing up like a dude every day. Sorry, I shouldn't be swearing, but it was like dressing up like a dude every day and going into these rooms and like listening to all of these meetings and like being like, are you serious? Like, wait, you what? What are you doing? Why are you not making a like kit for women? Like having these conversations and advocating and like hearing it unfiltered. So like I like I was in these spaces presenting male, but like as a woman and like, oh, it was infuriating. I wonder if that's why, you know, that vibe shifted, right? Because I don't know, for example, I'm in my first corporate position for work. It's really exciting, but there I'm working with men, like all men. And when I confront my client on something or I'm trying mm -hmm. to advise him, he becomes really defensive and reactive to me. Mm -hmm. But then watching my colleagues say pretty much the exact same thing, he reacts differently. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if, cause like, you know, in my organizational behavior class, for example, uh, we looked at this case study where two sample groups were given a paper mm -hmm. um, that was written up about like a CEO executive, except for the pronouns and the name were changed in one of the sample groups to be female. Mm -hmm. And they asked for qualitative feedback on how they viewed that individual. The men's with the description that they gave was like, oh, he's a leader, like he's confident, like he's a successful businessman, like I'd follow him, he seems charismatic, all that kind of stuff. The exact same paper when used with female pronouns was like, oh, she seems bossy, she's a bitch, like I don't like know how anybody works underneath her. It was literally the complete opposite. And it was really interesting to see the connotative associations we have with like traditional gender roles in society and how popular culture has shaped the way that we view those things. Uh -huh. And, you know, like that's one thing we talk about in marketing is that the associations and people's brains, we try to leverage those, but we also try to place them. And that's through like uh -huh. representation and all that kind of stuff. So I think it that's such an interesting experience to like when you transitioned and the way that the industry reacted, it really shows that this isn't something that's talked about enough. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, that's super, super wild. I'm really sorry you had to go through that. I can't even imagine how othering that was. Yeah, but. it was, it was weird. Cause it was like, there was no like, like bad experience. It was just all not great, you know? And it was all just micro, it was like just a bunch of microaggressions that just added up to just being like, ah, I don't really like this anymore um those are almost worse though yeah <laughs> like it's like you're kind of like did you just did they i think yeah. they did and then it makes you doubt yourself you're like yeah. am i reacting appropriately to this like was it as bad as i thought it was it's almost yeah. better for someone to come out and be like you suck because then <laughs> yeah. it's like okay like i can i can argue with that but <laughs> yeah but you know it's it's been interesting because i've been thinking a lot about like you know, I've, I've really come to find a home in the free ride, the women's free ride community. Um, and really within like the past sort of four or five months. Um, and it's like become like some just like almost like family, like a lot of the girls there, like 
um, Blake and Kaya and a bunch of the others have been like become like really close friends. You know, Hannah Bergman's like become like really like a really great support and ally. And like, I think, you know, really like opened some doors for me that I didn't know were like open. And like, um, I sort of like, you know, and going out to hang time, like it was just this awesome experience where like, I never once thought about being trans. I never once like thought about like the whole debate about like trans women in sports and like my strengths are celebrated as strengths and I was encouraged and pushed by my fellow athletes. And like, I was just welcome there. And I was sort of like thinking a little bit like, why is it that like snow sports, all these doors close, but then in the free ride space, it's become totally welcoming. And what I realized is, is that like in the free ride space, like we have women creating space for women. And I don't see that really happening in ski, right? Like hang time was organized by Hannah formation organized by like Katie Holden, you know, dark, uh, dark horse fest organized, um, by Casey Brown, like the big marquee events and spaces are being created by women. And like, I, I hope that starts to trickle out further into like the rest of the industry, because that's, it's creating the space for us to be women and not have to like put on the bro bra bravado and be one of the boys to fit in. I love this. I made a meme about this and I actually had guys come to me and say, um, like, what are you talking about? What does this mean? I don't get it. And having to explain, look at these events and look at the fact that an athlete was having to run them. It wasn't a brand putting on an event. They were supporting an event, but it probably wasn't their idea in the first place to be doing it. And it's come on the shoulders of these athletes to have to make these opportunities for people. And also they are actively being the mentors. Like you have Hannah, you have Casey, like Dark Horse, the comments that were on Pink Bike for that event were people complaining about how they went to watch it and they wanted to see the pro women ride. And that was the reason why they were watching it. And they were so disappointed to watch these up and comers hit these huge jumps that it just blows my mind that they didn't want to watch that. They only wanted to watch these other people they already knew. Like you're missing the point. Like even these pro athletes were like, I talked to a few of them and they were like, oh, man, like, why they don't get it like people just don't get it and they miss the whole point of that event it's not an event for casey brown to be showing off it's an event to show off the new generation and show them how they can do this too and then uh, that just ripple effects through everybody and you get events like hang time and you get like oh i i could just go off yeah yeah, the I forget what I was gonna say about that, but like, I think you know that like generational thing. I think is like so. That's been something I've been thinking a lot about. Um, where like it was so cool at hang time because there was you know some groms there. Like uh, there was like thirteen and fifteen year old, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen year old girls who were like throwing down, um, like riding like like towing in sometimes like Hannah and Haz who are like Red Bull athletes <laughs> and going like, like jump for jump, whip for whip with them. And they're like 13, 14, like 13, 14, 15. Um, and it's just like, I've like thinking about sort of where free ride is. Like if you go back and like, look at like, I went back and watched Rampage one year one, cause it's the 20th anniversary. And I was like, where was men's free ride? 
in its first like year that Rampage existed. And it was like a bunch of straight airs and like small drops and like it was rowdy, but it was like not what it is today. And I think like we're like in the baby stages of like women's free ride. So like it's important that we bring along these other generations and it's important that we like I know for me, like Blue Steel, even though I broke my wrist on it, like it was a question mark for me even flying out there. Like, I was like, I think I have the skills to do it, but I'm not sure. And like, now it's a certainty. It's just a matter of like, I gotta be like, heal my wrist and put in the work and I'm gonna go hit those jumps. And like, that's Fuck what we're yeah. like, that like we're planting <laughs> that. It's like, that's what we're doing right now is like planting that seed of like, yeah, we can all do this as women. And I think it was interesting because all of the coverage of Rampage its first year was like, can we ride it? And like, you know, like, not like it was like it was like the the like even the athletes the male athletes had no idea they could ride it and it's sort of like i feel like you know what what we're doing now in the women's free ride movement is like everybody always said oh girls can't ride this stuff and we're all like given a big like fuck you <laughs> yeah and Watch being like me. no actually it turns out that we all can ride it and just like planting that seed and just like it's so fun to watch the ripple effects like one of the coolest parts about being at hang time unfortunately breaking my wrist was I got to hang out in the crowd and just like watch all the light bulbs go off. Like there were so many like young girls there just like looking up and you just see them like being so inspired and fired up. And then like, I was chatting with some of the women in the, you know, in the, in the crowd and like, they all were like, yeah, you know, I've been thinking about hitting this one feature back on my home trails. And like, now I want to go do it. And like, you could just feel that energy of like, inspiration and like oh this is for me just emanating out and it was so cool and i think like it's not surprising to me that like dudes don't get that <laughs> oh man 100 percent. okay so there's actually some really cool research behind this um uh -huh. and we talked about this briefly in our first episode but i also wanted to back it up with something that i learned in my gender and popular cultures class uh, -huh. uh that i had this week but that process of them looking up and that like light bulb going off is actually something that is crucial to building talent and it's called ignition. And it's a natural process where somebody sees someone doing something like whether it's a sport or X, Y, Z, and they're like, I want to do that. And it's this really, it's what happens is your, your myelin wraps around neuronal connections in your brain. And it's basically this fatty membrane that allows those pathways to move faster. So when you have that put into your brain, you naturally start hyper-focusing on it and everything uh -huh. that you do is working towards building it. So that ignition part is a huge factor in creating yeah. new talent and entry to these sports, which is why representation is so dang important. Like, yeah, yeah like my, my ignition when I was a kid was seeing guys do it. It was like performing like a guy for a guy or to please a guy is the standard. Like I have to be one of the boys to be respected in this industry. And it's like, if I had those moments with women, I think that the amount of pressure that I put on myself would have been so different. And my expectations of myself and visions with, you know, um, yeah, what, what was possible? Like that must've been better than freaking Christmas. Like I would have been so inspired watching all those little light bulbs go off. Yeah, um, it was. It was so cool. And I think like you just hit on something really important and and like to talk about. And so this summer I got to do some work with I did this virtual immersion week with Red Bull. And one of the things that we did and, and one of my big goals going into it was learning about mindset, because like 
I knew I could like get skill wise to hitting bigger features, but I just really struggled with like fear and anxiety around it. And we got to talk with a Red Bull sports psychologist about mindset and a big part of finding success and getting into the right mindset is like visualization and like seeing yourself doing it. And I think like, if you don't, if like you've never seen another woman do it, right? Like it's hard to see yourself doing it. And then the moment you start seeing like other women doing it, you're like, oh my God, like, wait, if they can do it, I can do it. And then that starts that visualization process and starts to like kickstart that whole process that you said. And I've noticed, I mean, I'm sitting here now like watching the proving ground stuff and like, um, and like looking back at like, and like looking at like formation lines and I'm like, I think I can, I think I can get to a point I can do that. While like before it was like, that's cool. And it's, it's all through starting that power of visualization. And that is why representation is so important. And I like love that you had the science behind it because that's how I've been sort of feeling. Yeah. If you want to read that book, it's called The Talent Code. Or oh, cool. there's another yeah. one that's called, um, I think it's like The Talent Myth. And it breaks down how we idolize these people that we think have talent. But talent mm -hmm. is actually a scientific, like it's a psychological um adaptation almost it's yeah you can nurture oh it so yeah. it's really freaking cool um the other thing that i wanted to bring up about popular culture like popular culture is generally defined as any cultural product that has a mass audience mm -hmm. but it's important to apply the context that you know it's popular culture is a collection of practices ideas and images that reach a match mass audience or is available to a mass audience so like say justin bieber for example everybody knows who he is because information about him is readily available but information about trans people's experiences like the indigenous um you know, indigenous socio-political issues, all that kind of stuff, it's not as readily available. So you don't see that people are approaching those within the same context of, of mass, of popular culture, uh -huh. right? So increasing representation normalizes those thought patterns, which means that we don't have to work as hard to deconstruct them. Because right now those narratives have been pushed out of popular culture. Yeah. So seeing that shift is super freaking important. Yeah, an interesting stat, I think, um, is that, 20, I think it's only 20% of the population knows somebody who's trans. So like 80% of the population doesn't know anybody who's trans, which is why we're so like boogie, boogie personed. Um, Cause it's like an easy, like, oh, you this, this, this threat that you don't know. Um, and that, yeah, that, you know, I think with gay marriage, the reason that became all of a sudden so accepted was all, everybody started to know gay people. And I think that's sort of the thing we have to shift. And then like with topic of even just like women doing action sports, like just people seeing it, it changes the perception and it's no longer a like question, but it's just the norm, you know? Yeah, Tori and I have talked a lot about how every success story has an ignition story. And mm. we have seen that over and over and we see that even just through womb tang and what we are posting and girls seeing it and then getting back to us and saying, yeah, I tried this for the first time because I saw someone else do it. And there is science that backs that as being something like it, it helps. It does way more than you think it does. And representation is something that we, I feel like in Wim Tang, if we're doing it well and we're finding these people and showing them and 
it really is not that hard. I don't feel like it is very hard for us to post any of this content. Maybe brands will start to learn that it's also not hard to find these people either. Oh my God, preach. <laughs> that has been, it's been, so it's been really funny because there's like all these discussions around, well, how do we make like skiing more inclusive? How do we make like mountain biking more inclusive? And like the thing that always drives me nuts is I'm like, the people are there. You just got to start like elevating them and giving them resources. Yes. Like, there are yes. so many freaking talented female BIPOC queer athletes that exist in these spaces just like aren't given resources and aren't elevated. And like, if we, if like brands actually started to shift resources into elevating, you know, women, BIPOC folks and queer folks, like it would, the, the inspiration and community would follow. 100%. And, and I think the other thing too, and this is like, I, I hope people who work for brands listen, like if you look at the demographics of this country, like continuing to invest like all of your buckets on like one demographic is like kind of a losing long-term strategy. I mean, if you look at the census, it was like 40% of our country identify as a member of a BIPOC community and for 16 and under it's 50-50. Like that's the most recent census data. If you look at, um, you know, how folks who identify as queer for Gen Z, it's 15%. And like, I don't think it's because Gen Z is more queer. I think it's just because Gen Z feels more safe in being out. So that means there's probably in older generations, a similar amount of people who would identify as queer if they felt safe. You know, women, 51% of the population, like there are more collective women, BIPOC and queer folks out there than there are, you know, white straight dudes. And I'm not saying you should stop marketing to them and stop supporting them as athletes, but like a savvy brand should look at those demographics and go, if we want to be relevant in 10 years, like we need to have like this customer base. We need to have these athletes. We need to have this culture and community that welcomes welcomes members of these communities. Yeah. Like on the on the topic of Gen Z, right? Like more people um are part of the LGBTQ plus community and all that kind of stuff. Like when I've written segmentation strategies on that demographic for work, um, they 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 are identity purchasers. They don't like brands to um they don't like brands to tell them who they are. It's like, you know, you have to make that approachable, inclusive environment. And when you said like giving resources to BIPOC, LGBTQ+, like looking at it, the key word you said there is resources. Non-paid, non-actionable, empty efforts do not count. Changing your logo for Pride Month and then changing it back at midnight the day it's over does not count. Uh -huh. You need to be investing in these communities. It needs to be actionable, tangible, and traceable. Like, no more empty crap. But I think that, like, I did this really cool study um, with a professor. It, it was published in a, in a white paper, an academic paper, but it was looking at the Calgary arts economy and huh. how um, there's a lack of diversity at a governance level. So like the board of directors, all that kind of stuff. And we basically did a code, uh, we coded 400 different organizations within the experiential arts community. So looking at like theaters, dance, like art exhibits, like everything to see what percentage of um, 
their governance board is within minority groups. So like we're looking at like women, BIPOC, like um, other minorities, um, LGBTQ plus was difficult because you can't make assumptions, you don't know. So yeah. that was one that we couldn't code. But when we looked, when you look at academic research on how that influences a business's culture, there's people at the head of these organizations that cannot make assumptions for those groups because they have never been part of the experience. And making assumptions is how businesses get into these issues to begin with. Uh -huh. So it's like, yeah. And like, you know, one thing that you noted when we were emailing back and forth is you you need to be paid for your time. So for businesses to bring people in to discuss those things, like they should actively be looking to diversify. Um, and the same thing goes with athletes and stuff like that. Like I have a note here that was, it's like, you're saying like, it's time we all stop working for free. If you're good enough for a brand to want you to rock their product, you're good enough to deserve payment, ask for it. That's big stick energy. Yeah, I that wish was... someone told me that before. I wish someone Same. was in my ear being like, you deserve this. Now because we're in people's ears. Think about it. I know. Yeah. And I still, <laughs> I still need someone to tell that to me. Like, I'm sure a lot of people don't know, but I, I was invited to um, Kings and Queens of Corbett's a few years back. And Ooh. I ended up getting whitelisted because I had emailed the brands that I was with saying, hey, I got invited to this thing. And everyone's like, okay, cool. Like I, I really like, that was the response I got. And then I had to go, get back to the people at Kings and Queens being like, you know, I, I just don't know if I can afford to get to Jackson hole. And I was just straight out of university. I'd finished six and a half years of university was looking for a job. I was competing, which is taking up a lot of my money. And it just got to the point where I was like, you know, I just cannot fiscally get to Jackson hole. I can't do it. And no one was giving me any money so i couldn't do it and that's an event where look at the last few girls that have won they're filming in tgr it's a great opportunity and if you don't have any funding you completely lose out on any of that so i wish someone back then had been like just ask for the damn money because i didn't have the guts to ask for it <laughs> Yeah, that, that was sort of like a lesson of hard knocks for me, where I definitely for a long time did sort of the like product exchange thing. And I just kind of got, I realized like, I would rather just buy the product than like make it be work for like not much in return. Because it was like all of a sudden I had obligations around this thing, but I wasn't getting paid for it. And I think like, the like i feel like the culture that we've created is that it's like that's the norm is you just like this for product trade and then i think unfortunately when we talk about like building a culture for women and underrepresented communities it's just like oh all of our budgets are already taken here so here you underrepresented folks just here's some product and go figure it out but the reality is it's like all of this takes time and money and resources and like the product is the tool to do the job, but then you need money for the time and resources. And it was like, and I kind of got to the point where I was just like, I'm tired of like not, I'm tired of like putting in all this effort and not being paid for my time. And I just like, was like, I'm not gonna do unpaid work anymore. And I, it was scary and I started asking for money. And what I realized was there's actually budgets there. And I think like, I think all of us girls need to be like, hey, if you think I'm like, if you want me rocking your product, great. 
but like what let's talk partnership and like what does that look like and what resources are you bringing because then also if all of us are united in that it keeps the brands from just being like oh you want money cool i'm gonna go to the person who wants to do it for free 100 percent. do you have like okay first of all girls if you're listening this is a called rally we got to own our worth and we got to ask for it but do you have any advice on on doing that i mean for myself i'm in a job position right now where I'm being paid as an intern, but the decisions I'm making are that of a brand director. And it's, you know, like I, I'm like, I don't have results on my resume yet. So I don't know mm -hmm. how to ask for value. And now I have like this weird little, like, you know, someone left the business and they're trying to poach me for their new job. And then this one's like, no, like we got to keep you. And I'm like, wow, I don't suck. But then I feel <laughs> really <laughs> uncomfortable asking. So do you have like, like, what was that journey like for you? Like, how did you phrase it? Were you unapologetic? Like, did you have to grow into that energy to ask for it? Like, give the girls some advice. Yeah, so what I started thinking about was I reframed the question in my brain of not like, hey, can you give me something? But it was like, hey, this is what like we need for this to be successful. And I like before going into a, a conversation, I would think about like, okay, well, like what, like what does a successful partnership look like? And then um, how does like, and then what resources do we need to accomplish that partnership? So, and then put together sort of, okay, well, this is like the resources that I'm going to need. And then present it as this is what is needed for this to be a successful partnership. And I think if it's framed that way, it like feels less like you're asking for a favor and more like, hey, th I, like, I just want this to be successful in working with you. And then I think that creates a more like you're working collaboratively for finding success rather than like, hey, I need money. Um, so yeah, I think like think a lot about like what's the value that you're bringing to the brand? What does success look like in working with the brand? And then what resources do you need to make that happen? For sure. I think part of that is also giving yourself permission to believe in yourself. Right? Yes. It's like giving you permission to really step into that space and to own that space. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, like I said, I think in the note, like if a brand, like I've struggled a lot with imposter syndrome and I Same. think all of us has, <laughs> but I think like if a brand wants to work with you, <laughs> Like clearly then you have value. So like own that and say like, hey, like I'm really flattered and honored that you want to work together. Like here's what success looks like. And if they don't have budget, like then just be like, well, you know, I'm not accepting pay unpaid, you know, unpaid work at this time. But if you have budget in the future, come back to me and like keep it really positive um, and just kind of create that norm of like, yeah, I, I like I, I like you guys, but like I you know, I need to value my time. I think I had like quite a while during when I started skiing, because I hadn't been skiing that long. And I just felt like I was lucky to get anything that I had. And that was kind of the mentality that I had myself. And I don't know where it comes from, if that's just an internalized thing, or if that's something that other people feel too, where you just uh -huh. feel like, oh, well, I'm just lucky to have what I have. So yeah, I, you don't really know well, how to ask for more, but I think here's, I, a, yeah. Oh, go on. I was just gonna say, I think here's another thing you can sort of think about that is like, are they using your likeness, your work to sell a product? 
Yes. They're making money off you. Yeah. So clearly, if if they are making money off of you, therefore you have value. Therefore, you deserve payment. I've evolved now because now if they want (laughs) me to give them high quality photos, it's like, okay, you want high quality photos. Well, I need someone to take those photos. Those people cost money and per photo, it probably is going to cost you about this much. All right. Well, I have a full-time job. So now I'm going to have to go out on my day off. I'm going to have to find somewhere to take that photo. I'm going to have to bring this person with me. I'm going to have to plan my day around it. It's going to take a whole day and, you know, a day rate looks like this. And it starts to become easier to think about how much money your photos are worth or your content Uh is worth because of how much time and effort you actually put into it and how much it costs to actually get those high quality shots. And that's something that really like only in the last year of just talking to other people in the industry, I've come around to where now if I get an email saying, Hey, you should work with us and we'll give you all this product and we want these photos. It's like, "Mm, you'll get these photos for this price. Uh-huh. And then you never hear back from them again sometimes because they just want someone who will do yeah. it for free. Well, and like one of the things too that like I struggled with for a little while was I was like, well, but this is like, you know, it's like I'm out like I'm out like on my bike, like this is fun. But then the other thing too is, is like, if you, if you're taking the, like there's a big difference between going out for riding with your friends and going out and like riding to photo shoot. It's very different vibe. Hundred percent. And then the other thing too is, is like, it takes talent and skill to get the shot, and also to know how to work with photographers and like speak that language. And like, if you're out there doing this stuff, like, you deserve payment to do it. You know. And then same even with like, if you're going to events and like, maybe you get event photos for free that you then can share and have rights to share with brands. Well, like, what's the cost that you're putting in to be at that event for travel and time and registration and everything? So, like, even if, like, the, even if the photos are included in the event, like, there's still cost to you as an athlete to be there and get those photos that then the brand can use to sell product. So, therefore, it's important that you get some compensation. So I think like, it's like, I think the more it took me a while to kind of start to think about all of the costs that go into this, but like there's real costs. And then these brands are using it to sell a product. So therefore there is money coming from your work. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think it'd be cool. I mean, like Adam Jabber, uh, the mastermind between the out of bounds, (laughs) what does he call him? Collective. Yeah. Yeah. But he, he posts stuff on that all the time, you know, like it's about, paying athletes, like we need to paying creators, like we need to see a shift in that because this isn't a profitable system for for us. And like you said, like shooting when it's for a campaign or it's for a brand versus going out and shredding, like we're out there because we want to shred, like whatever sport it is, right? So I always like have this joke. It's like today's for the gram, tomorrow's for the soul. It's Uh like there's days where you don't want to stop and take a photo. And 99% of the time, those photos are like a lie. It's you hiking one line a couple times to get it. Or it's like, oh, do one turn here. Oh, like do this. And it's just like, you know, yeah. So so the message to to all all the ladies listening is like, ask for money. Like if if a brand wants. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. 
The other thing too, that I think is really important for brands to think about is I know a lot of times, like when working with athletes, they put the value on followers. And I think like that needs to like go away. It's an empty metric. It's an empty metric. And then the other thing too, is if you think about like what we were talking about with building culture, right? Like male athletes have had like, right? Free ride male riders have had Rampage has existed for 20 years. There's been a whole bunch of events. Like there's a whole system in place that has created the space for these guys to get a bunch of coverage and followers. And like that all exists while like women and underrepresented riders haven't had that space. It's starting to get created, but haven't had that. So the follower counts are going to be smaller but like the work is the same. And honestly, the value is the same because they speak to their representative communities. 100%. If anything, the value is even greater because like I remember reading this research uh, paper about the concept of followers and how micro influencers are a really big thing right now. Because if you're consistently like giving those resources to people who have a larger follower basis and their follower basis is aware that they are working with these brands, they often don't represent the brand authentically. And that authenticity does not translate to ROI on your investment in this individual Uh and what they do. So it's like someone that uses the product that's authentically using it, that you support it, it increases your brand equity and the likelihood that they will purchase it. So again, when I said like actionable um, efforts in that space, like resources, community, paying, all that kind of stuff, representation, it pays off, but authenticity is key, right? So Uh that's a big thing for brands. For sure. This has turned into like a little marketing spiel, but it's so freaking important in this it industry. Has. And that's the transparency too. Like we've talked about too before, like Tori and I, like how transparency is something that people really value. The younger generation really values when they're looking at brands and they're looking at purchasing a product. People who are transparent about their values and have strong values are the ones that are going to come up on top in the future. And like brands like Wumtang, like what we're doing here, this all helps like little bit by bit, just one step at a time, climbing up the ladder. (laughs) You know, like at the beginning of the conversation, we talked about how snow sports is not a safe place, right? It's very othering, that experience you had uh, when you transitioned and, um, you know, came out and with biking, it's so rad that you found a community and that support and where you feel like you belong. Um, Because we are a snow sports focused industry, I think we need to find a way to pull together those two aspects and figure out how we can bring the goddamn snow industry out of the stone age and into the 21st century and just advice to allies on how to do that. How do we be more inclusive to LGBTQ plus and women and yeah what's your what's your perspective on that what are some insights yeah i mean i think like i said the biggest thing is like giving the microphone and resources to create the space for us right like i don't feel like while yes there are women in the snow sports industry i don't think there is space for women, space for BIPOC, space for queer folks in the industry. And I think we have to we have to be creating that space. 
And, you know, like I said, with like hang time, I got to feel just totally like welcome and like at home and just like not think about this for like three days. It was awesome. And it was because it was a space built by women. It was a space built for us. It was a space that was inclusive and welcoming and it was intentionally welcoming. You know, like I was not the only trans woman there. You know, my good friend Blake was was there and slayed and got a Rider's Choice Award. So like, like voted by the riders, like she got, you know, the, I think most progression. Um, and, you know, we had women from Central and South America, like we had, it was like intentionally a like very inclusive and welcoming space. Um, and, you know, women of all sorts of ages. So to me, I think when you talk about allyship, it's about giving the resources, microphone and space to women, to BIPOC folks, to LGBTQ folks. And we're here, we're in the industry already. We just don't have the space and resources. Um, and the other thing too, that I think a lot of times, I think obviously we all have our own unique experiences depending upon our individual identities. But I think all of us have experienced what it's like to be othered. And I think a lot of us really band together regardless of, of what part of underrepresented identity is. And I think that like, I have noticed like spaces that like BIPOC folks build, like I've noticed they they go out of their way to make me feel welcome, even though like I'm white and have white privilege, but like, I feel like they see like, oh, trans, <laughs> trans girl, <laughs> you know, there. Um, and I feel like women, because we've all sort of experienced misogyny, I feel like a lot of women really go out of their way to make spaces more inclusive and welcoming. And like, I kind of joke in the advocacy world, the trail advocacy world, like you can tell the networks that have like women in leadership on the board versus the trail networks that are all men. Like it's like progression focused and like welcoming and like there's like families and there's like rad riders and there's new riders and then like there's signs and it's just like this cool community gathering place. And then there's like networks that I kind of joke are like angry old man networks where like nothing's signed, nothing's mapped and it's like go away unless you've been here forever and like, I, you know, it's it's like, so I just think we need to be given the microphone and resources. Um, and I think that's that's the biggest sort of takeaway. I think we're here, we just, none of us have the resources to do 100%. the work that we all could do. 100%, that's so cool. I think the one word that really rung through through that entire thing is intention. It's intentional choices, it's intentional action, it's listening, like actively listening and educating yourself. and. Um, I think as a community, we have a really long way to go with that. And that's part yeah. of the idea behind this podcast, right, is having these conversations, making sure it's getting into more people's ears, because breaking down those associations in your head and those natural reactions that we've been taught and that have been uh, myelinated, ew, nervous. <laughs> it's like, ooh, ooh. it's like, you have to, you have to actively challenge them, like behavioral science, like dialectal behavioral therapy is building those new wavelengths. So like, you know, mm -hmm. for example, with misogyny, like I, I think I touched on this previously. I can't remember. I've done so much talking this week, but I walked into a hardware store and I was like, oh, I got to find a dude to talk to. And the second I had that thought, I caught myself. I was like, finding a woman, finding a woman. I was like, nope, 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 nope. I was like, that's been programmed into me. <laughs> and it's like, 
you know, creating that space is so important. And um, yeah, I'm hoping that we can see more of these spaces come up in skiing and not the the fake, the fake non-intentional spaces that a lot of men assume are right for us. So um, yeah, I think that's really, really good advice. Do you have any advice? Um, I guess that's like on the, a brand level or like an event level, mm -hmm. which is really important yeah. because that shapes the popular culture. But for people yeah. who are approaching these conversations, like on more of a local community base, like with their friends and stuff like that, you know, how do uh -huh. we help them approach it? Yeah, I mean, I guess like it's brought so like a little more like, you know, what topic or I guess like, give me an example of sort of like what would be, yeah. So one that's really interesting, and I think I hear this, um, outside of my LGBTQ communities where there are more people of that group in them. It's more like conversations with like my dad. I mean, sorry, uh -huh. dad, not calling you out. You've, you're amazing. You've, he's super intuitive and he's really progressed a lot and everything, but especially like in that backdated ski culture, right? It's like one thing that keeps coming up uh -huh. is trans people's competition um, with cisgendered people in certain yeah. spaces and there seems to be a lot of xenophobia and transphobia around that and a lot of those comments are just i don't know it's very um they're very bigoted they're very naive and to approach that as an ally it's like you know i think that there's this stupid conservative dude that says facts don't care about your feelings ben Shapiro, and it's like <laughs> at the end of the day statistics are numeral like or they're linear right so mm -hmm. How do we approach that? How do we change this culture in conversation? Like just as an example. Yeah. Well, I think the first thing that to talk about sort of that question, right? You're kind of like, what happens if somebody's arguing about trans trans women in sport, right? And you know, I think I saw I forget which state it was, but one of the like bajillion states that introduced uh, language or legislation banning trans girls from sports. Uh, one of the like lead sponsors of the bill said that, um, you know, men are genetically superior machines to women, and like as a, female, as, as a female, as a female, like my blood boiled reading that. And I think, like, first off, like ultimately, it comes down to misogyny. Like the whole argument of banning trans women from women's sports is the argument of women are inferior to men which um. is just like gross like no like my experience like freaking us girls are badass like i freaking out of hang time like watched like you know 13 year olds who are like half my size throw down harder than like almost anybody i've ever seen ride a bike so to me, like, it's, it's, it's just it's, it, like to say that is just misogyny. And then just to talk about the other things of like, oh, like trans women are taking resources away and like blah, 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 blah. Like, I, I, I think like we, we just spent this whole podcast talking about how there's not enough resources for like all women and all underrepresented. And it kind of goes to one demographic. So like, you're gonna blame that on trans women? Where there's like 
you know, I can name I like almost all of the visible trans women in in mountain biking that receive any sort of support, and it's on less than one hand. And so, now name them in, in um, skiing and see if you have any hands. I don't know any. That's the problem. Like I'm like I'm not aware of any. I know. So, you know, I think like the physical argument and like the whole argument just sort of comes down to like misogyny. And then that other one is just like missing the point. And then the other thing too is, is like we were talking about like with Rampage, right? Like Rampage has been going on for 20 years. And like those guys were riding at like not, you know, it was like cool, but like it was not what Rampage is today. So to me, I see it as an opportunity gap. Like women haven't yeah. gotten the same resources that male athletes have, you know, even in talking about women's professional sports. Like I think the like um, the professional women's hockey uh, players association is doing this campaign. No more side hustles. That's basically like, hey, we're professional athletes and we want to be able to be a professional athlete and like dedicate ourselves to the sport full time. And, you know, like I'm no like I'm not like one of the top top women in the sport by any means, but like definitely like I felt that pressure of like having a full-time job, trying to like train and like push into these big free ride features. Like there was days where I'm like, I really need to be out on my bike hitting jumps and getting comfortable, but I've got like a bunch of stuff to do and I'd put in a 10, 12 hour day. So it's like the top women at the sport, a bunch of them have full-time jobs. Yeah. So like, how can they progress as athletes if they're having to work a full-time job, squeezing, you know, off the bike training, squeezing on the bike training, squeezing all of this stuff around a full-time job commitment, and there's no path for them to be a professional athlete. So that's when I say it's like an opportunity gap, like that's the biggest reason why there's a huge difference between men's and women's sports at the top level. So, and then if you want to get into the technicality aspect, like also like, there are currently like rules in place around like trans women competing in sports and it revolves around hormone levels and you have to be at a certain level of hormones for a year. And I mean, it's like going through puberty. Like it changes your body. It like, it, you lose muscle mass, you, you go through puberty, you develop secondary sex characteristics, like all of these things. So it's like, I, it's just, it's so frustrating to me because it feels just like if people spent one minute thinking about it and like all of these different paths, they'd be like, this is kind of silly. And then the funny thing is too, is all of the women that I ride bikes with who are talented, don't freaking care. That's, that's the biggest thing is that who actually cares about this? Who cares? Average enough Joes, enough aka men that can't do it. it. <laughs> yeah, and and to like into like that point, Tori. Um, so I was riding at a bike park, and one of my really good friends, uh, she's a coach there, and and also an athlete in the free ride space. One of the guys saw me in a lift line, and like I'm, I'm a bigger person. I'm an athletic build. And uh, so I you know and he must have picked me out as being trans. And he literally got in a fight with my friend about how I was gonna like take away resources from her and how I was gonna negatively impact her career. And like, 
I'm know, sorry, she, I'm like lighting on fire right now. And she was like, Woo! um, no. <laughs> like, Alex is rad and is an awesome part of our community and totally belongs. And it's like, I like I have not gotten that from women in the sport, but I've gotten it from men. So I think like and it doesn't impact yeah. them. It's like I, I said, it doesn't so take much. anything away from them. That's the thing. I'm like, but this doesn't impact you. <laughs> like, why do you care? Why like, are why you putting you... yourself in the middle of this? Like, why do you care at all? Like, this doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't like, matter to you. Do like, you need us... a hug? Yeah. Are you okay? That's what I want to ask a lot of those times. I'm like, dang, this guy needs like a GoFund. Like, we need to help. Like, this is this is not good. Are you okay? That's what yeah. that comes down to. Well, these are the same guys that are on Pink Bike, like commenting on like women hitting these massive features being like why are they doing tricks and like downplaying the accomplishment that they had which like i could also rage about that because like yeah it rained they had three hours of training on like some of those massive features like of course you're not going to be sending it big when it's the first time that you've hit features that in the big. rain in and you've rain. had and you've had three hours to train on it you know like yeah, when we were at hang time like at, at hang time we had like two and a half days sessioning those jumps and it was like the last session that like the tricks started really flying because tricks come when you're comfortable on the features so like yeah it's it, so it's like the same dudes that are like saying like all that awful stuff about trans women are the ones that then are also like being jerks about women in sports too. You know what I just thought of was something that came up in our last podcast episode uh, with Marcus and uh -huh. Renee had this really interesting piece of research that was looking at progression in mountain biking. I think that's right, right, Renee? It was like the brain lighting up part. Yeah, there's the, the brain. So I can say it again. So men have four spaces in their brain that light up for spatial awareness and women huh. have zero. So there are studies in mountain biking that, I mean, use that, but also other data to suggest that women progress better in all female groups in mountain biking because of the difference in the group dynamic and the environment. It gives them a more safe place to learn and you have a chance to look at the feature, talk about the feature, see someone hit the feature, session the feature. So then by the time you're actually doing it, you really have wrapped your brain properly around it, whereas men might not actually need that time huh. and that method to progress in the same way. So two really interesting things. And I'm like, so glad you brought it up because it's fascinating. So one, there's this really fascinating study that they looked at the brain structures of like trans women and cis women and trans men and cis men. And what they found was that trans women's brains are more, are structured more like cis women's brains than cis men's and trans men's brains are structured more like cis men's brains than trans women or than cis women's brains. So, and one of the things that I noticed like after coming out and riding with women, I got so much better at biking and so much more comfortable. 
And like, it was because I, it was that different approach to progression where like, I just like, I needed that time to like hang out and feel supported and like get to know it. And like, I found that riding with girls and like never found that when I was like presenting male and riding with my guy friends. So it's like, I'm like, it's so cool that like you brought that up and like, there's that sort of connection there. Cause like, I felt that like going from presenting male to presenting female. And it was like, almost like that was what my brain needed. And like, I fully believe like I would not have ever even come close to attempting the stuff that I was writing this year if I was still in the closet. You know what I think is um, like, I think that that bit of information, Alex is so freaking powerful. Like that really, you know, like anybody listening to this podcast who's ever had those intrusive automatic thoughts because of what you've been taught about trans people's women, all that kind of stuff. Like there's science behind this crap, right? Like you got to learn to unprogram it. And this has been like such a cool freaking podcast to talk about. But everything that was just said gave me a really interesting idea. We were talking about systems and like the patriarchy, which is a system and how there's systemic oppression. And that is woven into a patriarchal society and filters down into different industries, subcultures, all that kind of stuff. So relative to the competitive landscape, like you said, in the one competition, what was it? You had two days to practice. Mm -hmm. So you've had two days to practice and then the tricks came out and there was a higher level of competition and tricks for the women at the event. Right mm -hmm. now, the current competitive landscape and system is built to support male progression. It is built to demonstrate and reflect male progression. So we almost need to see that space evolve to meet these scientific differences. And we need more research on how these influence progression and that needs to change. Because right now, like women have been forced to keep up with men. We've been forced to adapt, which makes us strong and badass as fuck. But if we wanna see a more inclusive space, we need to see these systems change which yeah. it's, it's really interesting. That's so freaking interesting. That's, that's sort of like bringing it all full circle. Why I feel like the events like formation and hang time and dark horse are so powerful. hundred percent. Because it is creating that space for us and creating that space for progression and doing it in a way that we want to be doing it. And not just like showing up to an event that's been existent and already built and like we don't get any input, but like it's built for us. And I think like that's that's why they're so powerful. And I think like I want to see that happen in more outdoor sports. I want to see it happen in skiing. I want to see it happen in snowboarding. I want to see like because it's exactly what you said. It's it's we need that space to progress how we want to progress. Yeah. yeah. I've I've been riding a few years and this, I told my old boss, this is the first season that I've really gotten into riding and I've really been able to see events like this. I didn't watch mountain biking before. I rode my bike, but I didn't have a reason to watch anything. And I got so involved with all these events because it was actually interesting to me and I could see myself more in it and I was more just like emotionally connected to watching these women do something that had never been done before or push their limits. And it's just as so different than watching guys do stuff that is not at all attainable to me. Yeah. I mean, like I said, for me, it was seeing formation and I was like, Oh, that's doable. 
It's like, let's go. Let's yeah, do like, it. That was, the, that was the light bulb. I was like, oh, hell yeah. yeah. And then it was being out at hang time. And like, I, I don't like, I would not have, like, I, I just would never have thought that was something in my skill set until I started seeing all of this. And then going out and riding with these girls, it was like, oh, this is totally my skill set. Then I started dropping in and I was like, this is freaking really fun. And then unfortunately, I crashed and broke my wrist. But like I said, it's possible for me now. And it's because of that progression space and that space that we've created and seeing my fellow, you know, ripping women hit these jumps and hit these features. For sure. You know, one thing that we wanted to weave into our um, womb tang business plan, and it's been difficult because we grew so fast in the first year, like it was freaking bananas. And uh -huh. as someone like you're in, you're in marketing, branding, uh -huh. like understand business strategy, all that kind of stuff. But we now have factions all across North America, like opportunities to expand into Australia, New Zealand, Japan, Europe. Uh -huh. um, and the idea behind those factions is that it's a safe place for women to progress and they have the ability to meet other women and creating that it's just for them. It uh -huh. is just for them, 100%. Um, but what it also gives us is an opportunity to consult companies and have a sample demographic to test our assumptions and recommendations with. So we have a tangible ability to go back to these companies and be like 89% of women within this demographic that we asked about this product innovation said that it would lead to them using your product more, which I think would be a really cool way to kind of challenge these male competitive spaces um, with data on that, on uh -huh. how they could improve it. And then translating that to what we talked about, like increasing viewership, increasing participation, money, like all those growth factors. So I think that let's, that, let's go, let's, you should just join us. <laughs> let's consult. Let's do this because <laughs> we need to see these spaces shift. Um, yeah, I think that this podcast has been so in-depth on so many different things. We really analyzed some core cultural problems that need to change. And hearing your experience was, yeah, it's it was really moving and educational. And I hope that everybody listening to this takes something away and realizes that we are stronger when we're together. We're stronger when we support each other. And that's how we're going to see a cultural shift. So, yeah, this is freaking dope. Yeah. It was real fun. Thank you for having me. No worries. Tell people where they can find you. Yeah, uh, I'm most active on Instagram. So give me a follow. It's just my name, Alex Showerman, and I spell my name exactly the way it sounds. There you go. And did you want to yeah. like plug any sponsors? Like say thank you to anybody? Like this is oh, your time yeah. to kind of you do you. Um, yeah, you do me do me. Um, so big shout out to uh, first off my employer, Athletic. Uh, also um, Pivot, who I just Pivot Cycles, who I just signed on with um, earlier or like a month ago. I'm super Sick. excited to have their support um, and really excited to, to do more fun things with them. And then also Wild Dry. Um, they've been such a huge support and um, I've gotten just, just feel really like so stoked to be a part of that community as well. So um, and then big shout out to the women's free ride community. Y'all freaking rock. And it's just like the coolest thing. <laughs> Sick. Yeah, that's all great. I really want to uh, I think Wild Rye is dope. I found them recently. And yeah, I all those people, businesses you explain, they're freaking rad. But Yes, thank you so much, Alex. This was so rad. Anybody that wants to find Alex's Instagram link, um, we will be adding that into our bio. 
check her out. This is the third episode of Big Stick Energy, and it was great to have you here. We'll see you next Monday.